remember everybody's birthdays and anniversaries, that sort of thing. But I do know that Tom and Norma celebrated 61 yesterday. So, Jordan, you got a few years before you catch up to, uh, to uh, Tom and Norma. Anybody more than 61 years of marriage? Anybody in here? Looking, I, think, I, th- I think you guys are the record holders. I don't think anybody's going to catch up like, and surpass you either. Like, I don't think that's even like, mathematically possible. So congratulations to you all. Please take your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 20. We're continuing on in uh, our coverage of the Ten Commandments. We'll look at that here together in just a moment. Before we, before we dive in uh, to our sermon time together this morning, something I wanted to cover together with you as a church family, um, and I wrote my comments down so that I'd get them right. Uh, before we turn our attention to the passage of Scripture this week, I'd like to share with you several things that I think you should know about that are going on in our community. There are some things about one of the churches here in town and their leadership that I think you need to be made aware of. And while I don't want to be guilty of gossip, I do want you to know and to be praying. And I do ask that you would keep what I'm getting ready to share with you just between you and us in this room. Okay, wait a second. How many of you feel uncomfortable right now? Okay, yep. Thank you, Jerry. And I hope that there were many more of you in here who were thinking, what is getting ready to happen? Why did you feel uncomfortable that I would gossip in a group setting like this? And yet, if I had started the same conversation with you privately, You may not have given any attention to it whatsoever or maybe even had been eager to hear what I was getting ready to say next. Friends, we have a problem with the words that we speak. We have a problem with the words that we speak because we have a problem in our hearts. We sin with our words regularly. I sin with my words regularly. And those of us, and I put myself in this category, those of us who talk a lot are often more guilty of it than those of you who don't talk quite as much. I'm not saying your hearts are less sinful, but man, my words. Of all of the Ten Commandments that I've prepared to preach to you, This one has been the one that the Lord has used to convict me personally the most. There are people that I will have to go to after I preach this sermon and look them in the eyes and say, please forgive me for what I said. I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong. Please forgive me. We sin with our words. We say things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's about the dumbest thing that's ever been said. We live in a world that sins with its words. People say that they will love and honor and cherish each other till death do them part, and then go about doing very little loving, honoring, and cherishing. On social media, The news, radio, email, Twitter, we sin with our words. The devil is the father of lies, and we too often follow his lead instead of the self-sacrificing, life-giving, truth-telling words 
of our Heavenly Father. And so my hope this morning as we look at the ninth instruction, the ninth word that God gave to His people Israel that we can benefit from and gain from today, I hope that God will use it to convict us, to change us, and to give us a way forward to use our words in ways that are like the living Word of God that brings life to those that we speak our words to. My main point this morning is literally a specific verse of Scripture. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Father, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would please keep any one of us from thinking that we don't need conviction and change correction, and help in this area. Please show us where we need help. Please give us hope in the gospel. Please give us clear direction on a way forward. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In James chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible says this, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire, do you know how the verse ends? By hell. The Word of God uses very clear and descriptive, and if I didn't, if it wasn't the Word of God, I would think that it was just over, over the top. Uh, it, it, that, that James here in the book of James, or that Jesus, as he's uh, speaking about the tongue in the gospel narratives, that it's just um, exaggeration or overemphasis, except for the reality that I live in a world full of people who use their words to do a lot of damage myself included. We're going to do just like we've done with, with each one of these. We're going to look at the ninth word and Israel, and then the ninth word and us, and then the ninth word and Jesus Christ. Point number one, the ninth word and Israel. The ninth word and Israel. My family, my family's a little different than most families. I'm aware of that, and I'm even okay with that. We have been on a, you know, a, a, a Binge watching is maybe a little overstatement, but we on a regular basis watch a television program. I think it came out maybe a year or two ago called Perry Mason. Okay, it's like mid 1950s, right? It's like when television was first being invented. Uh, and in the show, Perry, I remember as a kid, um, I would see it like on television and think that looks like the most boring show ever. And for whatever reason, now me and my entire family watch it. And regularly, I'm sure in every single episode of Perry Mason, as they are in the courtroom, there is someone who is a witness, and they take the stand. And before they take the stand, they are, um, it's demanded of them that they take an oath. And the oath that they have to take is that they will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, this is in 1953. And in 1953, they didn't have surveillance cameras and DNA testing with which to corroborate any witness information as well. So what the person said on the stand was of critical importance to how the 
the, um, the jury was going to make their judgment on, uh, on the case that was before them. Well, the language that's here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, is courtroom language. It says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is clearly referring to a courtroom type of situation. This was very important during the time that Moses is writing uh, the book of Exodus because at this time, the only thing that, we, that people had to go on as to whether or not a thing happened or not was based on eyewitness testimony of a thing. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, expounding upon this very law, says this, "...on the evidence of two or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness." And so there had to be at least two or three people who saw a thing done and they would bear witness to that thing, and they were to bear true witness about that thing. And the significance of their witness was so important that a person's life was potentially what was hanging in the balance. Remember, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Literally, in cases like this, death and life were hanging in the balance here as someone was to give a witness. In Numbers chapter 35, verse 30, if anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. No person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. So three of us are standing around, and one person kills the other, and then the other person goes and says, I saw him do it. That may be the case. We know that person was killed, but this is so important that the testimony of only one witness is insufficient for us to execute capital punishment on that person. There has to be two or three witnesses. And if you're going to bear witness of someone in court, it is critically important that you bear a true and not a false witness. And surely there would have been times during these ancient times where two people would have gotten together and they would have given witness and they would have borne false witness and that false witness together would have ended up with someone being executed. And if you'll remember correctly, this is what sent Jesus Christ to the cross. There were those who bore false witness about him. For the people of Israel, this situation, this, um, uh, the idea of bearing witness and bearing true witness was of critical importance. One other passage, Deuteronomy 19.15, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that has been committed, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. But clearly, as you look through the Bible, clearly this verse means more for the people of Israel and ultimately for the people, for, for the people of us, I almost said. For the people of Israel and for the people of us, this verse means more than simply when you're in a courtroom, don't lie. Several scholars help us understand how the Ten Commandments work by explaining it this way. These Ten Commandments, commandments like thou shalt not um, murder, or thou shalt not bear false witness, or thou shalt not commit adultery. In each of those situations, what God is doing is he's taking the worst expression of that kind of thing, of that kind of problem. And of course, these are all flowing out of the character of God, which we're going to talk about, and for the blessing of God's people. We've talked about that already. 
But what God is doing is he's taking the worst example so that we'll understand all of the other types of sin in that way are sin as well. For instance, um, thou shalt not commit adultery. In the New Testament, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. God has biblical standards for human sexuality. And according to God's standard, the worst breaking of human sexuality is when a marriage is broken. A marriage is a representation of the, it is a covenant between a man and a woman, and it's a representation of a covenant between God and his people. And when, when, when that kind of sin is committed, well, then, then um, the covenant uh, that's between God and his people um, is, uh, it, it, it's being tarnished. Thou shalt not murder, right? God has told us um, in the New Testament that if you're angry with someone, it's like you've committed murder as well. And so here, in this commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's kind of the most extreme misuse of our words. I mean, when you bear false witness, and it could bring literal electric chair, or in this case, you know, hanging or, or um, beheading, that sort of thing, when, when someone would die from the witness that you bear, God is saying, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. But of course, this means that just normal, average, everyday lying that isn't bearing false witness against your neighbor or gossiping or slander or like there's a lot of other ways that we sin with our words. And they're really included in this commandment as well. The Bible lists many, many more ways that we do use our words, and we thereby, of course, sin with our words. The Bible, excuse me, the people of Israel were beginning their time of wilderness wandering and their life as a nation, and God is giving them something that will help them. When people begin to lie, then trust is destroyed, and when trust is destroyed, we we can't operate as a group of people. When people in business affairs stop being able to trust each other, they can't do business with each other. When a husband and wife can't trust each other, they aren't able to have the unity in a home that they're supposed to have. When people in a business can't, or I mentioned that, when people in a church can't trust each other or trust their leadership, they can't function in unity the way that God has made them to function. And so here, the people of Israel as a nation are to express this unity and this faithful following of God. And if they can't trust each other because they're not bearing false witness, well, they can't be the people of God that God has called them to be. And there's a lot of ways in which not bearing false witness against your neighbor was going to be a great blessing to the people of Israel. We're going to spend the most time here together this morning on point number two, though. The ninth word and you. Maybe I should say the ninth, the, the ninth word in us. What comes out of your mouth? How do you use your words? See, what you, what you say reveals so much about you. In fact, the way people know you is based almost entirely on the words you speak. There's just no way for me to know you 
unless we have some way of communicating, right? And, and even people who have the inability to speak will learn sign language or will write messages. I mean, there's, there's got to be a transfer of words, of information back and forth if we're going to know each other. Our words are actually the thing that primarily, when you think about it hard enough, you'll understand that I'm actually right in this. It's what identifies you as you, the words you speak. We'll say about someone, oh, she's quiet. How do we know she's quiet? She doesn't say much. He's mean. Well, how, how do we, I didn't mean to gesture toward Jerry. He's mean. How do we? How do we know he's mean? Well, because of what he says. She is stuck up. How do we know that? Because of the words she speaks. He is so kind. He's so friendly. I don't trust her. He's so much fun. And when you think about it, the way that we know someone is through the words that they communicate. All of this is based on words. We would have no way of communicating if it wasn't for our words. And the Bible has so much to say about our words. Matt jokingly-ish talked about if he takes a long time, then uh, it'll cut into my sermon. I do have seven pages of notes. That's more than usual. And I had to cut out stuff. There was stuff that I wanted to cover that we're just not going to be able to. The Bible says so much to us about our words. Because death and life are in the power of words. When you think about the times in your life that you have been hurt the most, I can almost guarantee you it's when someone said something to you that hurt you. When you think about the hardest hardships in your life and the deepest hurts, the, the scars that you bear, it's, yeah, you fell off your bike and, you cut, and you've got a scar over your eye or you've got a scar on your knee. Or I'm just telling you, those aren't the thing. You had a surgery, you had cancer. You, those are not, when I say, what's the hardest thing you've been through? Those are almost never the things that we mention. In fact, Often they're so, they're so close to our heart and they hurt so much that you haven't shared it with anybody. And you're not going to share it with me today. I'm not going to ask you to. It's almost always someone said something. I mean, I can remember things that were said to me in college. I can say, remember things that were said to me when I was a, when I was a child. And to this day, they hurt. Sometimes because they were true about me. The Bible has so much to say about our words, and I don't have time to cover them all. But, but let's, just, let's just walk through. Let's unpack. Let's, let's, let's start with the, the bold-faced false witness and lies and work our way downstream with just a couple of other illustrations of ways we use our words. There's no way we're going to cover all of them this morning, but just a couple of ways that we use our words in ways that are like bearing false witness. A lot of times when we think about the ninth commandment, we simplify it and summarize it just by saying what? Thou shalt not lie. That's how we often think of, and that's a, that's a fine way to think about the ninth commandment, though the ninth commandment means so much more than that. And it, again, it literally means to lie specifically against someone in a way that would bring harm to them. When we think about lying, 
Lying is when we hold back important information. When you speak, you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in order to communicate truth. See, sometimes we tell the truth, but not the whole truth. Or we may tell the truth, but then we tell some more that's beyond the truth. That would be the nothing but the truth. Sometimes we, we, we communicate in a way where we feel like we're being truthful, but we're not communicating the truth. Now, this doesn't mean that we always say everything that we're thinking, right? There's a, there's a movie from, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, and I have not seen the movie. And from watching the trailer, I don't think I recommend the movie to you. I mean, if you've seen the movie, I'm not judging you. It actually looks quite interesting. The, the movie is entitled uh, The Invention of Lying. I think it's what it's called, The Invention of Lying. Uh, and the premise of the movie is this, that um, er, no one on earth has ever figured out that there is such a thing as lying. Everyone always says what is true. And then in the movie, one guy figures out there's such a thing as a lie. You can tell a lie. And so, again, I'm, this is all from the trailer um, of the movie. He walks up to the bank teller, and she says, how much would you like to withdraw from your account? And he says, I'd like to withdraw $800. And she says, oh, your account shows that you only have 300 but obviously there's a problem with our computer and hands him $800 because she just assumes, of course, he's telling the truth. Everyone always tells the truth. And he goes in and he's fired and his coworker says, I'm actually glad you're being fired. I've always hated you, right? And everyone always says what's on their mind and they say the truth. Everyone always speaks the truth. And he figures out how to lie. And he's kind of this fat frumpy dude, and he falls in love with this beautiful woman, and he starts lying to her, and she loves it. And as the movie progresses, he actually uses lying in a way. He becomes this charming, everybody loves him, and, and he kind of is like, he, he's aware. I say things, the way they put it in the movie, I don't think, no, I'm, I'm not, again, all this from three minutes of a trailer. I'm not even sure that they use the word lying in the movie. He just, in one point, he says, sometimes I, th- I say things that aren't. That's how he describes what a lie is. The problem with that movie is it makes lying look like it's added this wonderful thing to the world that we would, you know, we'd be living miserably if we didn't have something like lying. Now, just because um, we're not supposed to lie doesn't mean that we should live in that world where every single thing we think we say and we say it truthfully. My, it looks like you've gained weight over the last few months. That dress is not nearly as becoming as you may think it is, right? Like, I mean, there's all sorts of things that we don't need to say. We do, we do need to be wise in the way we speak the truth, but we're not supposed to die. We're not supposed to bear false witness. We need to be careful not to give the impression that something is true when it's not true. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We're not supposed to slander, and slander is a false uh, spoken statement that's damaging to another person's reputation. And we know, we know all of these things are true. We know all of these things are true. But there is one way in which we use our words that's the easiest and most common and in many ways most destructive ways that we use our words. And I actually think it's especially common in small towns. Anybody want to take a stab at what I'm talking about? Somebody say it out loud. Yeah. Ray Ortland says, gossip makes us feel important. 
and needed as we declare our judgments. It makes us feel included to know the inside scoop. It makes us feel powerful to cut someone else down to size, especially someone we are jealous of. It makes us feel righteous, even responsible to pronounce someone else's guilt. Gossip can make us feel good in a multiple, in a multiple excuse me, gossip can feel good in multiple ways, but it's of the flesh, not of the spirit. Describing the destruction that gossip makes, he says this, gossip leaves a wide trail of devastation wherever and however it goes. Word of mouth, email, blogging, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, phone calls. It erodes trusts. It destroys morale. It creates a social environment of suspicion where everyone must wonder what is being said behind their backs and whether appearances of friendship are actually sincere. It ruins hard-won reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. It manipulates people into taking sides when no such action is necessary or beneficial. It unleashes the dark powers of psychological transference, doing violence to the gossiper, to the one receiving the gossip, and the person being spoken against. It makes the body of Christ look like the body of Antichrist, destroyers rather than healers. It exhausts the energies we would otherwise devote to positive witness. It robs our Lord of the church he deserves. It exposes the hostility in our hearts and discredits the gospel in the eyes of the world. And then we wonder why we don't see more conversions, why the ground is so hard. We wonder, we wonder why people won't hear our word of witness to them following our words of gossip to them. Now, here's the deal with gossip, brothers and sisters. Gossip is not me lying to you about someone else. Gossip is me telling you true things about someone else. But true things about someone else that aren't mine to tell you or yours to hear. See, gossip is different than slander. Slander is me telling you something about someone that is not true of them. Hey, did you hear Joseph Krim robbed the bank? That's slander. I can't think of anything bad about you now. I was getting ready to gossip about you. But gossip would be tell- me telling you something that's true about Joseph Krim. That's not mine to tell or yours to hear. We share things that are true that are sinful because they either tear someone else down or build us up, both of which are inappropriate ways to communicate. Very rarely are we aware that we're gossiping when we're gossiping, and that is the hardest part of, this, of all of this. When was the last time you started a conversation with, hey, I've got some gossip I want to share with you? We often... When we are getting ready to gossip, we actually start by saying, now I don't want to gossip. And then we gossip. 
I said, Jeremy, how are you so familiar with how this works? Because I have a mouth and I talk too much. And I know a lot about a lot of you. We, we say things, if you start with, now I don't want to gossip, then you should probably stop talking right there. And you can be assured that you won't. If you start with that, you probably should stop with that. We say, I, I just want to check with someone else to see if what I'm observing is accurate. Have you noticed this about so-and-so? We say things like, will you help me out with something? So-and-so is doing such and such, and I need to know how to interact with them on that. We say things like, did you know about so-and-so? This isn't gossip. This is public information. Brothers and sisters, that's still gossip. It doesn't become not gossip because you said, I don't want to gossip or this isn't gossip. That's not what makes gossip gossip. When we share information, even when it's true, that it's not necessary for me to share regarding someone else, and it's not necessary for you to hear, then it's gossip. If it results in spreading things that tear other people's down, other people down and builds you up, you're gossiping. The Bible says confess your sins to one another, not confess the sins of others to one another. A simple and helpful saying, don't talk about people, talk with people. If you have a concern with someone, then go talk to that person. Don't go talk to someone else about the concern that you have with that person. There would be so much drama and harm cleaned up if we would either stop talking or go talk to the person with whom we're concerned. God has given us this outlined in Matthew chapter 18, right? When, someone, when there's some sin against you, you go to that person. And then there's ways. If that person won't listen to me, if I'm trying to confront Jerry about something and he's not listening, then I could take Levi and say, Levi, come and help me. Right? And then Levi hears the whole story and goes, Jeremy, actually, you're the one in the wrong. You need to get straightened out, which would probably be the case in that situation. Sometimes we say, ah, I just need somebody to vent to. There's no biblical grounds for venting. Talk to God. Talk to God about your concerns. But there's no biblical ground for me to go to Dustin and say, I'm, just re- I, I'm really miffed at will about something. I just need somebody to vent to. That's bad communication. You're sinning in that moment. Or we say, well, I just need to get advice from someone, or I just need to get perspective. When we're actually sowing seeds of discontentment and concern in the hearts and minds of those who don't have anything to do with the problem. They're not part of the problem. They're not part of the solution. And now you're sowing seeds of doubt and discontentment and discord, which is disunity, which throughout the New Testament, Jesus is constantly trying to help us be unified, and our words can so often create disunity. Gossip is a fruit that reveals what's in our heart. Remember, out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. We gossip because we're proud, because we don't like the circumstances that God has put us in, because we want to feel better about ourselves, because we want to win and we want someone else to lose. We want to manipulate. We want people on our side. We're irritated. Think about this before sharing with others. Is this person I'm about to talk to an immediate part of the problem, and therefore I'm talking with them about the problem in their life, or are they an immediate part of the solution? 
And if they aren't, then you don't need to talk about it with that person. Now, I can gossip good things to you, right? Man, Will Perkins, what a great guy. I'm so happy. Seth Ralston, man, I'm so glad that he joined our church. What a great contribution that God has given to us by bringing him, right? Like, that's, that's not gossip. But when I share anything that sows doubt, discord, something that's unpleasant about you, sometimes it's a question, right? Are you experiencing this with this person? Well, let's say that who you're sharing with has never experienced that problem. Never experienced. Now, now they have this question mark in their mind every time they interact with that person. Brothers and sisters, we, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And by asking someone else a question, you can begin to put death into their minds and death regarding that person. Please understand, as I am communicating with you guys about this, I'm aware that I'm stepping on toes. I'm trying to step on toes this morning on purpose. I, I know that some of you think he is thinking of me, and I probably am. The list is long, and I'm on it. And I'm not just saying that for dramatic effect or because I have to or to soften the blow. I'm on the list, brothers and sisters. So as you're talking with someone, ask those questions. Is this person part of the problem? Are they part of the solution? If not, I don't need to talk. Ask the question, is this my story to tell? Is it my responsibility to tell that person this thing about that someone else? I was talking with someone recently, and they mentioned the name of someone. And immediately I thought, hmm, I think I know some things about that person. I've, no, here's what I thought. I've heard some things about that person That's different than what that person just told me. This person has a positive opinion about that person, and the things that I've heard about that person are not positive. And I almost said, now, you know what? There's some things I think you need to know about that person. And the Lord, thank the Lord, used what I'm studying here to preach on Sunday to help me remember, whoa, whoa, whoa. All you've heard about that person is gossip. You have no earthly idea if that's even true regarding that person. It's just gossip. And like, I mean, in that moment, as I was trying to shepherd someone, I was inclined to say, ah, I'd be careful with that person. And I remember thinking, I only have gossip. And I would have carried it on. And, and it would have been, it was, it's that easy, friends. We do it that easily. Is this my story to tell? Would I share this information if the person were standing right here with me? Proverbs 6, 16, and 19, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. At the end of that list, it says this, one who sows discord among brothers. You know how you sow discord among brothers? You know, you know how you sow disunity? You know how you create disunity amongst people? There is only one way you can do it. It's with your words. That's how you sow disunity amongst people, with the words that you say. Leviticus 19.16, I like the way the old King James has this. You shall not go up and down as a talebearer among your people. Remember in second grade, third grade, there was a kid who was always the tattletale. Right? And they were always going to the teacher and telling the teacher, so-and-so did such and such, so-and-so did such and such. Did you know that, adults, that we have more refined ways of doing it, but we do the same thing? And again, this 
talebearing. This gossip is not me carrying something that's a lie to you. It's carrying to, some, to you something that's true. Bearing a tale, the talebearer. And remember this, brothers and sisters, if someone will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. I think sometimes we like being on the inside of that, right? Like, oh, me and so-and-so, right? Okay, again, I, I know my family is different. If I say Aunt B and Clara, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, the Andy Griffith Show, right? And Aunt B and Clara, they're listening on the old part. Well, no, let's see, it was that weird phone that, you know, you held it to your ear like this and you spoke into it like this. And they were listening to, on the party line. They could listen to other people talk on the phone. And, oh, my, did you hear so, such and such about so-and-so? And aunt, Brothers and sisters, like, we have our Aunt B or our Clara that we like to be on the inside with, on the, you know, what's the scoop? What's the skinny? What do, we, what do we know now? And we actually feel like there's a close, trustworthy relationship with that person. But here's the deal. A person who will gossip to you will gossip about you. They will. And the only thing more difficult, this is where I think I have the most trouble. The only thing more difficult than not gossiping is not listening to gossip. I think that's the only thing that's actually harder than not gossiping, is when someone starts to gossip to you, and you even think, uh, uh, I don't think I want to know this, but man, it is kind of interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm glad you told me. I, that's the kind of thing I think I should know. So when we say... I'm not sure we should discuss this. Oh, excuse me. Let, let me back up. When, when, you're, when, when someone's gossiping to you and you think, okay, I'm, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to try to stop this. And, and you say something like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure we should be talking about this. Nine times out of ten, the person will almost immediately begin defending their decision to share that with you. Right? They're going to say, oh, no, this isn't gossip. This isn't gossip. I'm just asking your advice. Uh, this, this is, I mean, this is public knowledge. Everybody, everybody knows this. Often the person, because now you've shown the spotlight on them, right? Like here they are standing, they're gossiping, and you've got a spotlight on them, and you've just said, hey, please stop gossiping to me. And if that person is like I'm wired, I'm going to immediately go, uh, no, it's not really gossip. It's just a prayer request. I need, you to, I, I need you to pray for me as I'm dealing with this situation with this person. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you with this. If you're in a conversation with someone and someone says to you, I'm not sure we should discuss this, then you at bare minimum should realize that person's conscience is red flagging right now and I need to shut up. Even, even if it's okay for me to share this with you, right? So I'm talking to Matt about Len. And Matt goes, bro, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that we should talk about that. I need to stop. He's probably right, first of all. And even if he's not, his conscience is going, this isn't my business to know. I don't need to know this right now. So we need to become people who not only don't gossip, but when we do, because we will. Um, what, what's the Bible verse? God, um, God, God, be, God is truth, though every man a liar, though every man is a liar. Every man, woman, child is a liar. We don't live in the world of that movie I mentioned earlier where no one has figured out how to lie, 
right? You didn't have to teach any of your children how to lie. They figured it out easily on their own. They got it from you. They figured out how to lie. Let's make it as easy as possible for us to help each other with this. So I know it's hard. It's really hard when someone begins to share information with you that's not theirs to share or yours to hear. I do want to encourage you, maybe think through some sentence or phrase or way that you can, you know, uh, softly and gently but clearly say, I don't think I need to know this information. Or have you spoken with this person about that? Or let's go right now and talk to that person about that, right? That'll shut the conversation down immediately. Or you could fake like you're having a heart attack, and that would end the conversation as well. I'm just kidding. That's not one of my, that's not one of my suggestions. But a sentence like, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I need to know this information. That, I think that's a simple way for you to try to get the other person to, to cease from their gossip. And if you're sharing something, if you're sharing something and someone says that to you, stop. Prepare yourself now with the commitment that you'll stop. Brothers and sisters, life, death, and life are in the power of the tongue. I'm not making this up, and I promise you I'm not blowing this out of proportion. I'm not making a bigger deal out of this than it is. People's reputations have been ruined through gossip, slander, both. There's there's all sorts of... um, uh, there's all sorts of illustrations throughout history where people have been falsely accused of something and they've literally been executed for that false accusation. Other people whose reputations and lives and, and livings have been ruined because of the words that have been used. Often our words take a little problem. Let's say that that problem is a little fire in your life, and instead of throwing water on the fire and putting it out, our words throw gasoline on the fire and make the problem worse. Any of us have lived long enough to know just how clear this is. So, excuse me, gossip is one of the, and I knew I was going to spend the majority of my time there, so don't worry. The rest of these points are going to go much, much more quickly. Gossip, death, and life are in the power of our tongues. Let's make sure that what we speak is true and is necessary to be spoken. Speak in such a way that you build others up and make little of yourself. Build others up and speak little of yourself. Be easy on others and hard on yourself, a pastor friend of mine used to say. Be easy on others and hard on yourself. Careful how we criticize other pastors, other churches, other people, our bosses, our employees, our children, our parents. Another way that we can speak poorly with our words is by making judgments and assumptions about other people. This is a little bit different than gossip in, in, in this. like We're talking about people, and we're saying things that aren't necessarily true and aren't necessarily false, but we're, just, we're wondering out loud. You're, you're talking to, to a group, and you know, I, I'll bet I know why they did what they did. Or I just assume that since they just recently had this happen in their life, that this is why this is happening. The Bible says no one... No one knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, and of course, God. We often make assumptions, and those assumptions that we make about the person begin to turn into our reality, though there's no factual basis on the things that we're assuming about them. Another way that we sin with our tongues, I'm a pastor, this is an easy way for me to do it, is through exaggeration. Exaggeration is another way Exaggeration is the biggest way you can sin with your... No, I'm just kidding. I'm exaggerating. 
Exaggeration, though, is a way. This is an often overlooked way in which we actually bear false witness. Again, those of us who talk a lot, it's easy for us to do. We know how to tell a story, and we know how to make it better. We're free with the details. The details aren't the important part. The story that I'm telling is the important part. We can even do this just with our voice. We can say absolutely the exact same words that that person said and then that I said and then that that person said, and I could quote it verbatim perfectly. But the way I emphasize their words and the way that I emphasize my words can change the meaning of what's being communicated. If you're known to exaggerate, you've put your trustworthiness in jeopardy. If you're known as an exaggerator, You've put your own trustworthiness in jeopardy. Kevin DeYoung asks this, Can you be trusted to represent yourself accurately even in the smallest details of your life? Now, these ways in which we can sin with our words through bearing false witness or gossiping or exaggerating, this is in no way an exhaustive list. But we have to ask ourselves this question, why do we sin with our mouths? Why do we sin with our mouths? It's not enough for me just to say, stand up before you this morning and say, stop it. Stop. No more gossiping. Right? If, I gossip, if, if you gossip, I'm going to throw you in jail, which would be exaggerating and lying. Right? Why, why do we sin with our mouths in this way so often? Because, as I've already mentioned earlier, Matthew chapter 6, verse 45 says, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouths speak. We lie and gossip and exaggerate because we're proud or selfish or fearful or discouraged or worried we, we, we sin with our mouth because there's sin in our hearts, which means that we, we have to be changed. If what comes out of my mouth is what's coming out of my heart, then I need my heart to change. I can't give you a list of words and say, as long as you only say these things to these people, it won't change your heart. What we need is someone who will change our heart because, listen, this is important. Matthew 12, verse 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. See, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and there's no such thing as neutral words. You're either speaking words of death or you're speaking words of life. There's no neutral words. You'll give account for all the words you speak. And verse 37 of Matthew 12 says this, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words are the way we live our life. What comes out of our heart comes out through our mouths. These are the ways that we, this is the way we live our life. And so when Jesus is saying, you're going to be judged by the words that you speak, and the words that you speak either prove that your heart has been changed by Christ and you'll live with me forever in heaven, or your words are evidence that your heart has not been changed by Christ and therefore you will be condemned. This is not like one of the commandments we get to kind of skip over because I don't go to court that often. Right? Like I, I, I haven't been asked to be on the witness stand, so I'm not worried about bearing false witness. Remember Old Testament, and then Jesus so often takes it and takes it to a bar that's impossibly high. 
Friends, which of us have not sinned with our words in the last 24 hours? I was talking with Angie yesterday. I said something, and she said, that's not very kind. And I ignored her and thought, and it wasn't kind. I'm not going to tell you who it was about or what it was, but it wasn't very kind. It wasn't very kind. Brothers and sisters, we need someone to rescue not our words, but our hearts. And when our hearts are rescued and being saved and sanctified, then our words will give life and not death. Point number three, the ninth word, and Jesus. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and Jesus comes, and what does Jesus do? Jesus says, with his words, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. With his tongue, Jesus says, I am the life. Satan is the father of lies. Jesus is the one who comes and lives and speaks perfectly. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. These words are the words of life. And the Bible in John chapter 1 actually refers to Jesus as the living word. Jesus himself is actually the true word of God. He's the living word, and the word brings life. The word is life. And so we are saved by the word of God. We are saved by Jesus Christ, the living word of God, and we are saved by the written words of God as those words come into our understanding and we put faith in that living word of God. We're saved by true words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We're saved by the living word of God, revealed in the written word of God. And in most cases, the spoken word of God was spoken to us through one of God's messengers. So someone who has life in their tongue comes to you and says, here's how you can be born again. And you, as that person is speaking those words, you're, you're um, understanding the written word of God and your faith is being put in the living word of God. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can be someone whose words brings, bring life Your words have to be governed by the truth of God. How can we become this? Well, first of all, by being saved, by putting your faith and trust in the living word of God, and then by being sanctified and changed by the written word of God. Again, we become, we are are changed into the image of the living word of God by the power of the spirit of God through the written word of God. John chapter 17, verse 17 says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we are saved by the living word of God and we are sanctified. We're, we're changed on the inside where our heart is. We're sanctified by the written word of God. You are saved and sanctified through the word of God. Do you want to stop gossiping? Get to know the living word of God through the written word of God. Do you want to stop slandering? Know the, written, uh, the, the living word of God through the written, written word of God. Do you want to stop exaggerating? Do you want your words to bring life to people instead of death to people? Then bring the message of the living word of God to them through 
the written word of God. Many of us, maybe all of us this morning, need to repent. We've used our words often to bring death rather than to bring life. For some, maybe you need to put your faith in the living word of God, the word of truth. For all of us, we need to grow in our sanctification. And the way that we do that is by the written word of God, by our growing understanding of the written word of God. Psalm 19, verse 14, the psalmist expresses this prayer. Remember, I've said, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. You stub your toe, what comes out is because it's in your heart. Someone ticks you off, what you say comes out because it's in your heart. Someone cuts you off in traffic, what comes out is what's in your heart. That's where it comes from, right? You don't go, oh, man, I didn't know that was in my mouth. No, it's in your heart. And the psalmist prays this. I, I want this to be our prayer as we leave this morning. With all of our hope in Jesus Christ as the one who spoke perfectly for us and was the perfect written, uh, living word of God, our prayer could be this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The psalmist understands that their words and their heart are connected. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, God, may, may those be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It only comes through the redeeming work of Christ in our lives. There are no neutral words. This morning, we might need to close our church service and just be like, okay, nobody say anything. Just leave, right? But that, that's, that's actually not how God has called us to live. Death is in the power of the tongue. But brothers and sisters, life is in the power of the tongue. I started by reminding us this morning of how um, some of the deepest and darkest and hardest moments in our lives are probably when someone spoke a word to you that hurt you in a way that you don't even want to. You're not bringing it up again. What are some of the most life-giving, encouraging moments in your life? For many, it's someone pulled you aside and said, hey, I believe in you. Hey, let me share the word of God. Let me, you know, uh, someone who literally shared the good news of the gospel with you. Someone who spoke an encouraging word um, to you. Like that brings, you know, the joy, the strength, the ability, that, the life that that brings into your life through a spoken word. I conclude with this this morning. By the grace of God, let's live in the power of the gospel and be people whose words are true and life-giving, like the true and life-giving living word, Jesus Christ. Please bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're going to pray. The music team's going to come and get in place as, we, as I uh, conclude this portion of our service, and then we'll sing to end our time together here this morning. If, as you've listened this morning, you argued against these truths. Ask yourself why. Why is it that you would push so hard against this? This is a humbling 
thing for us to consider together here this morning. I, I have not enjoyed this last week of giving consideration to this because the Lord has shown a light in my own heart through, through the door of my mouth, has shown his light right down into my heart. There have been and there will be people that I have to confess sin to. But friends, what greater joy, what greater cleansing, what greater life comes into us than when we say, yes, God, you're right. I've been wrong. Forgive me and help me as I move forward. If you need to put faith in Christ this morning, then you can do that right there in your seat. And if you'd like to talk with me or one of the other pastors or one of the ladies here in church about that, we would be happy to have that conversation with you. I think most of us this morning might need just a minute to pray. I'm going to ask Angie to play through just one verse of the final song and let you pray. And then when she concludes that going through that verse once, then um, Josh, would you please lead us? In, uh, in song, and then uh, Will will come and close our service in prayer. You, you just take a moment, brothers and sisters, and pray and do business with God there in your seat. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we acknowledge that all truth 
come from you, that reality as it is, as it truthfully is, issues from you, that you are the author of all things and that you see your nature in this law and this commandment because you yourself are true. I ask that you would go with us this week, that you would guide us, that we would we would view the world, Lord, in truth and in, in your righteousness, Father. I ask this in Christ's name.